0: I'm so uh, blessed to be here this week. Uh, This church is going through a series right now on worship, and I was invited to come and discuss the topic, Resetting the Heart, which is such a a delightful topic for me because I really do um, appreciate um, the opportunities to, to experience God's grace, don't you? Don't you love the grace of God, man? Just being able to humble yourself before His throne and receive His love and be reset again to His purposes, and that's kind of where I want to go a little bit today. It was interesting, because this week I was wrestling with what to share, and I was actually originally going to go into the Woman at the Well story, but the tail end of that, because there was such a schism in the way that God's people had learned to worship, that there was this separation. The Samaritans and the Jews hated each other, and there was a reason for that that goes right back to the exile, and the way that they began to build stories around their worship, And what was meaningful to them. And Jesus, in the encounter with the woman at the well, gets to a point where she says to him, Listen, you Jews worship in that place. We Samaritans go to this mountain and we worship in this place. And that's meaningful to us because there's a whole set of stories and ideas around why that's meaningful. And Jesus says, You know what? I'm going to tell you something. He said, salvation's from the Jews, so he corrects a little bit of her thinking, but also says, in fact, there's going to come a time where it's not going to really matter that you go to that mountain, we go to that mountain, it's not going to be about where you physically go to worship, it's going to be about worshiping in spirit and in truth, and partly because Jesus was going to unify, and He was going to break down dividing walls, and He was going to be the Prince of Peace, and He was going to bring peace, why? Because He was going to take up rightful residence on the throne." And I was going to go into that a little bit, um, but I didn't. So I'm just going to throw that to you to go and research. But while I was doing that, I get a little nerdy and I start looking at the words. And I looked at the word worship because I'm like, I have so much understanding of worship. It's such a word. It's All our words are containers for meaning, aren't they? And there's so many ways that we place meaning on them, experiences and stories and all kinds of things. So even the word worship comes with such a context. Um, and so even in this series, I think us being able to just make some definitions and wrestle together as a community about what worship looks like. When I looked up the word, it was really interesting because it actually means to kiss. I know, it's super strange hey. but you've got to understand that words also have context and meaning outside of just that, but it's boiled down meaning is kind of like this metaphor, this image of a dog licking the, the hand of its master. I know, and it's even even funnier, isn't it? But it's, what it is, is it's this, this beautiful picture of submission and delight, of coming to the Master and, and, and just with joyful recognition, knowing that God is God. And it's a beautiful thing. So this word worship has this actual rich uh, sort of idea about kind of like this, this idea of like just joyfully loving God because He's worthy. Did you know that? God's worthy, God is good, God is faithful, God is an amazing God, he is, he is worthy of our praise, why? Because He is so good. And so this picture of like, of like a dog licking the master's hand might sound a little gross, but imagine the delight of your dog if you're a dog owner, how joyful a dog is when it sees you and comes running over and it's sitting in its little tails, it's just wagging and it's just like, I just want to lick you. That's that's kind of what this picture is. This is worship. This is kind of like I'm coming to God with such delight and joy because no matter what I've done, I know God is so good. And that's why I loved sort of wrestling with the word a little bit and the imagery and the metaphor and the, the stuff around worship was this sort of, this beautiful picture of just love and joy. Old ancient Egyptian inscriptions have sort of this idea, the same word for worship, which was used in this sort of ancient Near East was kind of like people throwing their kisses to God. And so this idea of worship actually denotes this sort of, it's, it's part of our physical being. It, it's not a stagnant thing. Worship is kind of like this, this thing that happens in our body. That's why we raise hands and why we kneel and there's this movement. It's, it's actually part of worship because I don't know about you, but when I see my wife after a busy day and I'm full of love for her, you know what I want to do? Just want to want to run over and give her a big hug and a kiss there 's the movement there 's action there's there 's symbolism there 's meaning around this idea of love in relationship and that 's why I love this word so I think it's it's kind of it 's meaningful i think it 's beautiful when I see an old friend. you know what I want to do want I shake their hand it 's so rich uh, our Christian story because so much of the time we make physical spiritual things and so worship is no different I love it worship there 's movement there 's body. Uh, physical aspects to our worship. Now, I'm not going to focus on that today. We had a word this morning in our first service, and it's one of the best things about gifts in the body, because as as I preach today, I'll use many words, and I'll do my best attempt in the folly of preaching to to wrestle with you with what I think the Holy Spirit's saying, but I love the ministry of the gifts. And this morning we had, um, Kathy got up and just said one word, which I thought, that just sums up the sermon today. So if you get nothing out of what I say today, remember this. The question she asked was, what are you aiming at? And, and it was so poignant, so direct, so beautiful, and she said, I'm not going to qualify that for you, I'm not going to explain what it is, I'm just going to leave that as a question hanging, and I think there was richness in what she was asking, because I think, I want to sort of come around that a little bit, so I just wanted to point that out, and I also wanted to say, do you love the way that the Spirit was weaving through our musical worship today, some themes? Did anyone notice any themes today? I might even just ask you, yell it out, any particular words or themes that stood out to you? Eyes. Eyes. Submission. Submission, anyone else? Heart. Beautiful. Anyone else? Worship. Beautiful. Anyone else? Any particular themes that you saw emerging? Because how many of you know, when we're coming into worship, it's a whole story. We're not just reducing all these compartments. It's what is the Spirit saying and doing, even as we sing today? So, were there themes that you noticed? Heart, worship, submission, eyes. Say it again. Letting go. go. Forgiveness. Beautiful. Love. Love. Awesome. I'll leave it there for a bit, but I want you to be observing that. And our ultimate question is, what is the Spirit saying to us as a people today? And I think there are some beautiful themes that the Holy Spirit's already weaving through God's Word, through Kathy this morning, through the songs we're singing, and hopefully through the message today. I hope to encourage you today in this idea of resetting the heart. Um, I was preparing the message this week. I I was kind of getting into the week, and all of a sudden I'm like, wow, i got to go to work Thursday, Friday, it's already Wednesday morning, I better go and spend some time with Jesus, man, because like, I was getting busy. You have those weeks? Even when you're in ministry, or are in the marketplace, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, how many of you know life can get a little busy? And it's, it's a discipline to make space to be present to God sometimes, like, and that was my week this week, I'm being honest, like, I was having one of those weeks where I was a little bit busy, overwhelmed, anxious heart, all kinds of things stirring, And I'm like, I gotta preach on Sunday. And so I'm like, I need to go down into my office and create some space, so I did. Have you ever woken up with a song in your heart before? I don't often, but every now and then there's just, I don't know where it's from, maybe it's just subconscious, maybe it's from the TV, maybe my kids or my wife had something on, but on Wednesday morning, I woke up with the song Worthy of It All. And it was the version sung by Bethel Worship. And I woke up to it and it was just like singing in my heart, And so when I came to prepare the message, I'm like, I gotta stop. I'm getting focused on doing the message stuff, but I need to actually just have some space with God. So the first thing I did was I just put my laptop on, I pressed play on that song, and I just sat back and listened, and I just rested for a minute. I'm gonna be honest with you. as I was doing that, as the song was sort of percolating my heart, and as I was meditating on the words, um, a powerful reality came over me and a humble awareness, not a guilty, a humble awareness that I have actually been giving so much of my love and my attention to other things in my life. And my worries, my anxieties, my selfish need for control, the earthly pleasures that I pursue, the, the awareness of my pursuit of happiness outside of God this moment of reflection really hit me, this honest realization that I am really, at times, a broken human, fully aware of my deficits and brokenness. It was a simple acknowledgement as I sung the words, you are worthy of it all, for from you are all things and to you are all things you deserve the glory, Romans 11.36. As I paused in this space and the song continued, I did, I felt a burden of sin and idolatry in my heart, and a moment of realization that yes, I have been giving my love to other things. But the paradox that's so funny in these moments is the freedom and grace of Jesus Christ that came rushing into that moment in time and space. Life was suspended for just a moment, enough to take a deep breath and remember that I am a child of God. And that God is truly worthy of my whole life and my attention again. Do you have those moments, church? Those honest, humble moments in the go-go-go to recognize that there are parts of you that love things outside of God, but at the same time in that transaction, you meet with God and you receive His mercy and His grace and His forgiveness and His joy and His love again? It's such a simple transaction but what a gift we have in Jesus. The song goes on to say, I exalt thee over and over. The acknowledgement that God is worthy of it all. Amen? I was so thankful to God because in a sense, I was living out the very thing I'm hoping to try and communicate today. Pray with me as we go into some definitions and take a journey. God, be with us as we gather together as your community, God, recognizing fully aware of our own deficits, but also God in the hope-filled story of the gospel where we have you Thank you for your redemption, God, today. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Establish us on your word. Be with us by the power of your spirit today. Stir up faith in our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is resetting the heart, and I thought it'd be good to just create some definitions of the heart. Not because I'm this excellent, smart person, smarter people have gone before me that have wonderful ideas around this. I'm just going to do my best to stick in my lanes today. And I think the lanes I want to talk about the heart is this idea that it's actually a very profound metaphor. Over 800 times where it's used in the Bible, only two or three times is it referring to the physical heart. When you read in the Bible and you read heart, it's a metaphor, it's an image, it's a picture, it paints a story, it tells us about something deeper. The heart is actually the container, if you can imagine a big container, for your will and emotion and desires. That's what the heart is. The heart is more than just the physical vessel that pumps blood around. It's a metaphor used in the Bible to describe where you love from. It's actually the place you truly make decisions from. The Bible understands it not as just this intellectual place. We, we have an obsession with intellect as though that's the primary thing, as though we're just brains on sticks, but actually we have deeper drivers. Did you know that? You're probably aware of them because you know that when you're sinning, you can think your way out of it, but there's actually something else going on. You can be fully conscious when you're doing the wrong thing and still be doing it and try and rationalize it, but there's other motivators, there's other desires, there's other stuff that's bubbling away, directing you. And that's the issue of the heart. The heart is a deep, deeply profound thought that Hebrew people understood. It's a place of decisions, it's the place that you truly love from. As a side note, if you're ever struggling with unwanted behavior, you can join accountability groups, not saying they're wrong. You can try and mentally change. You can think different. Again, not wrong or evil. But one of the best things you can do is ask yourself the question outside of my behavior, outside of the stuff that's going on, I'm not okay unless. Or I'm only okay if. Begin to ask yourself heart questions. Begin to wrestle with what is it that I truly want? Because you want to know the very first question Jesus asked the disciples? In the book of John, chapter one, a couple of the lads run over and say, I think you're the Messiah. Like, this is awesome. Like, we want to follow you. And Jesus turns around. You know what he said? The very first thing he said is, What is it that you seek? It is one of the most, like, I think that's the word Kathy was saying. What are you aiming for? In, in, In the same way, I think she was describing that, is this fundamental, deep philosophical question What is it that you really love? It transcends the intellect and asks a heart question. What do you seek? And if you're struggling with unwanted behavior or stuff that's going on and you're wrestling in your discipleship, a good question to ask yourself is not to try and think your way out of things, but to start wrestling with what is it that the, the longings of my heart are being directed toward. Because those behaviors are, are ends, and they're ends to something that's deeply going on inside of you. And that is, a, that is beautiful. And then when God can curate that, He can begin to shape that, and that's our goal today. We're going to look at that a little bit and help you in those things. I also need you to know you're not an evil, awful person. (laughs) We all struggle, and that's what we're going to look at a little bit today. The heart is where we love from. Did you know that? You love from your heart. This is why the Bible is so interesting to me. Proverbs 4.23 says what? Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. This is, again, that wrestle of a deeper place in you that longs, desires, and loves from. The Bible knows it, names it, guard it, because everything you do comes from that place. Jeremiah actually names the heart as this place where it is so deceitful above all things because it's sick, and we're going to look at that. Luke, Jesus says, a good man brings up good things out of the good stored in his heart, And an evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what? What the heart is full of. It's a fascinating wrestle. The heart is the battleground for what we love, and what we love is actually what we worship. Did you catch that? The heart is the place that we love from, and what you love is actually what you worship. Worship is not this weird thing. Worship is what you direct the attention of your love toward and where you find fulfillment. So what you love is what you worship. And how many of you know you and I, all of humankind, are created to love God? Everyone is created to love God. God, you are born with the capacity to love. It's innate in you. You have a desire center, the heart. Everyone is born with this. And when God created, what He did was He ordered the chaos. He put order and He defined things. And on the seventh day, God wasn't exhausted and tired and needed to go and have a cup of tea in front of the telly. It's actually more, we're so obsessed with Genesis trying to tell us about material things, But there's this beautiful picture here about God taking up his rightful residence as the king on the throne and beginning his rule. Because things were in order. God had separated, ordered, put everything, and there was beauty and abundance. Humankind were brought into this space, given a capacity to love, and all of their loves and desires were met in the king. God takes up his rightful residence as the king on the throne. That's the seventh day, it's the beginning of a, a... sitting in office, if that makes sense. Because the Bible tells us that the earth is his tabernacle. He creates the universe and he creates earth and decides that it was right and good for that to be his dwelling place. And he takes up his rightful place and there's beauty and abundance. I love it, it's rich. But you and I were created with a capacity to love. It's part of how we were designed. We're made in God's image. God is a God of love. And we were in a right order of that. God was the center, and how many of you know there wasn't really a wrestle because it was just delight. There was delight in God. God walked with humankind. God was with them. God was their God. They had all that they needed, and the word shalom means everything in its right place. Everything is beautiful, and life flourished. It was beautiful. We were made to love God. It's deeply embedded. In our nature to love God, and when things are rightly ordered, we live from a wholehearted trust in the Creator, the one who's rightfully taken up residence. The shift for humanity, of course, we know, came when we were told an alternate story of life, an alternate way to direct our attention and our love by the tempter. The temptation, I often say it, isn't that Eve was this horrible murderer doing all these evil behaviors, it was an issue of the deeper part, the heart. It was almost amoral in a sense when I say that the object that the tempter was using in and of itself wasn't really the issue, the issue was the desire of the heart. The Bible says the tempter told a different story about what was good and what the boundaries were and and told this alternate narration that the Bible says Eve saw the fruit and what? her desire was for it. It shifts us from thinking, you know, she did all these bad things and there was all this evil going on. It was the fact that there was a, an, a, another narration of what life can be. And the transaction there was the speaking to what it is you fundamentally love. Because desire is the same word for seek. What is it that you seek? It's the same word, which is tied to this idea of what it is you long for and love. And so the temptation was about in this ordered, beautiful, all things were met in a right place with God, an alternate story was narrated in which that direction of her love was just subtly shifted to something else. Sin is that issue. Sin is more than your bad behavior. Sin fundamentally is my time up. Sorry, I better get to the end. Let's pray. Hallelujah. (laughs) You're all sinners, apparently, so let's go. Wow, um, there's, this, there's this shift in the story. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's a fascinating thing that Eve's direction, what she loved and longed for, her desire was for something else. And what happened was, that was disorder. Yeah. Because order created beauty and abundance in life. Humans didn't have to wrestle with anything outside of this wonderful sense of God is good and God's with us, and He's taken up control, therefore I don't need to be in control. The temptation was, hang on a minute, you can actually be in control, you can define what is right and good, you can do this, and you can have love, your love can be directed in this way. That was the temptation, that was the story. That establishes a whole new narration of life that we have competed with ever since, where our loves and our longings are directed toward. So in the beginning, we were directed toward God, but all of us are created to love. The challenge is now, and the question for us is, what is it that you do love? Because everyone's a worshipper. Did you know that? Because we all love. Everyone's a worshipper. The question is, what is it that you worship? It's the same question that Jesus asked, what is it that you seek? What is it that you truly want? What's the direction of the arrow? What are you aiming for? Kathy said this morning, I love it. I think it ties us in so well. Sin creates disorder. Sin was stepping into a place of control. Sin is a subtle shift from living under the Lordship of Jesus in a life of faith where we are not in control and our hearts are filled with His love, to taking back control, being our own gods and choosing to live life around a set of desires that are not rightly ordered. What's funny is, sin can also look like loving things that in its right order under God's control might not be a sin. Do you know what I'm saying? That's the thing. This is the challenge for us and why it's so personal and why you have to wrestle with this because I'm not going to define that's sin and that's bad. It's when it's out of order. Okay. What I love about Sam Ministries is they're, they're, they're vocationally an expression of the kingdom bringing order from chaos in a physical way and I love that and that's something that Jesus does. And that's what we're going to get to today. Don't be too overwhelmed right now. But can we recognize that when we talk about sin and for me today, it's that your heart longs for things that sometimes are out of order. Those things become God's. That's idolatry. Idolatry is when our worship is directed towards other things to fulfill us outside of the beauty and abundance of a life of faith under God's lordship. That's what happens. The Bible tells us that the payment of sin is death because chaos is the result of a restless heart. That's why we get the payment is death. The death is this death of life this death of living under the beauty and abundance of God, the Creator, who is worthy of it all, to being in control and living in the anxieties of trying to do it all yourself. That's the death, right? And ultimately, a physical death that we've been redeemed from because of the cross, praise Jesus, and we'll get there, but recognize that. The death is this sort of subtle shift away from right order to you and I being God. (laughs) It actually kills us, we, we 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 get shame, we run away, we hide, we, we flee from God, we're scared, we live in fear. There's all kinds of things out of order. I love Romans that says what we said before, from him and through him and for him are all things. God is the source of life. We was designed that way. So it's so good and right when God is in control and we experience that life sin disrupts it, it brings disorder, it brings chaos, it brings death, it brings all kinds of stuff, and, and, and what happens is, it's like, imagine your heart was like a beam to God, and it was like this, all of the energy, all of the source was going to God and being met, and all of a sudden, put something in front of it, block it, and, and, and that, the, the, the beam starts shooting out everywhere else. That, have you ever had a restless heart before? Because you know what I'm saying when I say that, I think, when your heart has felt restless and, and, and you, you know that you're wandering in directions and you're looking for fulfillment outside of that, because you know because you know because you were made to love and so you are loving, but what is it you're loving? What is it that's meeting your needs? What is it that's fulfilling you? What is it that you are longing for? What is it that you're seeking? And so imagine that when that was centered on God and there was shalom peace and now it's going out in all these other directions. And you're swimming around, looking, like trying to plug in here and here and here, trying to, and that the beam of your love is just sort of going everywhere. That's what sin does. That, that's the issue. It's like directing you to love other things. The recognition of God and the state of my own heart this week reminded me of how distracted I am in life sometimes. Is it just me? Are you distracted sometimes? Do you find that there are so many things vying for your attention? Vying for your love, actually. Vying for your worship. Buy this, eat this, drink this, do that. There's So many competing narratives now, isn't there? Because I'm going to tell you something, remove God, right? The meta-narrative. Remove God from the story as the overarching His story, and that's gone. What are you going to define as the story? Because... The goodness of God means that He knows that we're created to be lovers and all that what we need is made in Him, not because He's a monster demanding our worship, it's because that's how we're made to be, to be connected to the source. Remove that, where's that going? So if God is not the center anymore, we are going to come up with alternate stories about what fulfills that and that's what the world does and that's what cultures do and that's what people begin to define and all of a sudden we have a clash of stories, isn't that Right? And we live in that. This is the old word from Jesus, like, you are living in the world, but you're not of the world. That's the tension we face, isn't it? To be planted and rooted in the gospel story where God's in control, but also exist within a a, a landscape of competing stories. And they're vying for your attention. And I'm going to be honest with you, I buy into them. Because I watch my TV, I see a picture of the good life and I want it. I had to stop watching HGTV for a while. (laughs) I'm not kidding. And that's—I'm not gonna see. This is where it's hard because I don't want to say that, and then you go away guilty because you watch HGTV. This is me, and my wife would get frustrated at me because I'd watch it and I'd see all this new flooring and these new kit, and I'd like—I want that, man. And I'd start—I'd be sitting there watching, and all of a sudden my left eye is looking up, and I'm like, "Oh, that fan is so ugly," like I—it created discontentment in me. Do you hear what I'm saying? Please don't go away thinking HGTV is evil. that's, I've got to be careful when I see personal stories, because that's not the point. But the point is, there are so many ways of what the good life looks like. And, and, and in, in disorder, those things desire your attention. And then they become the longing for fulfillment. It's not wrong to have a new kitchen or new flooring. That's not the point. The point is, I knew in my heart fundamentally that there were so many things vying for my attention all the time and I get so distracted. That was my revelation this week, that I'd come to prepare a message and sermon and preach, but it was actually, I had to come and meet God, because <laughs> I was overwhelmed and anxious, and I had to be honest, God, I'm loving things, that not you, man, like, I'm really sorry. Things that aren't really evil in of themselves, but things that have demanded my attention and my worship more than you, and you're sitting here so good and so gracious, just like, here's, here's the gift, like, here, you go, man. like i got everything you need and, and I'm sitting there in that tension, do you, do you identify, is there a part of you that knows, you're anxious, you're worried, you're overwhelmed, you're distracted, there's so much competing for your love and the world's putting language around that. That's why I wanted to go back to that other story because I think Jesus looked at the woman well and kind of corrected her thing because she's like, well, this is our way of doing stuff. And he said, actually, no, it comes from the Jew. like here's the proper way and he defines a little bit. But anyway, the point is you have, I have so many things distracting me. And here's the thing, if you're a believer today, the truth is you also have an old creation story. (laughs) Ways of living, patterns of behavior, things that you've done because you've believed in them, and now you've been adopted into a new creation story, and you're learning what that means to put your faith and trust in God again. And that can be attention too, because there's parts of the old story that want to rear their ugly head and demand attention from you. And that's some of the tension for us as well. Why we are getting to the point of resetting the heart? Because I think that's a habit and a discipline that's helpful for us. Um, Without the good news story, there's lots of narratives. We just talked about that. And one of the challenges of being a believer is we're in the world. We just talked about that. There's this pull to be fulfilled. And we go out from church. We go out from here and we find ourselves walking the dusty roads, right? Because you're back in the world. You're back in the marketplace. You're back in life. And all these things are vying for your attention again, right? And you get a little dirty sometimes. Your feet get a little dirty because you're back out there and you're wrestling with this, what it means to live in a new creation story, but also be present to a world that is trying to define you and tell you what you need to be and who you need to believe in and what is good and what is right. In the same way the tempter did to Eve, drawing your attention toward it. You're, You're existing in this landscape and this space and it's tricky sometimes. And as much as I would like to think that I'm constantly being formed in the gospel story all the time because I'm so in love with God and so amazing, sometimes I'm, in, I'm present to environments that want to shape me. That happens, right? It, it, you get shaped. I think it's why the, the author in the Bible said, guys, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, It's like, don't be squeezed into the mold. That's kind of what it's saying. There's these pressures, these environments that are trying to squeeze you and your loves and longings to distract you off your true love. It's one of the rebukes in Revelation, is you've lost your first love, that first place. But there's so many environments, and that's why the author says, don't be squeezed into their molds, you guys. Keep being renewed in your mind. Keep being transformed, because... Those things want to form and shape you and are always there, constantly putting pressure on you. Again, not always immoral things. This is what I had to work out. It wasn't that I was living in this immoral life, but it was that things wanted my attention and I was giving them that. And it was out of order. And I realized my heart was actually full of anxiety. I didn't know that in the moment. I'm just, it's coming out as anger, it's coming out as frustration. It's coming out as discontentment and it's coming out as control. But when I met with God, I realized, hang on a minute, I've got anxiety. I've got some anxious heart, I'm not anxiety, I've got anxious thoughts. There's chaos in my heart, that was the recognition. Our rhythm as believers is to recognize that we're constantly being drawn in to love other things, so part of our coming together, did you know, is actually that we're constantly in our worship re-narrating the hope-filled story of the gospel. So that our attention is drawn to its rightful place again. Do You know, that's why we gather and we're singing and we're hearing the Word, because our loves and our longings are being, f- tri- uh, 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 there's a temptation for them to be formed in the world, and so we're gathering together as a rhythm to have our hearts formed back toward God again. Because during the week, I'm struggling, I'm wrestling, and I'm, and I'm having these moments, but I'm coming back here and I'm reminding myself, this is my real desire, God, is to love You you know, I will build my life upon your love, it's a firm foundation, because the foundation of the world isn't, and so our gathering is more, it's actually, can I be honest, it's more than just community, It's, it's more than entertainment, it's more than just feeling good, it's actually a rhythm and a discipline of habitually coming so that our loves are being reformed, because the world's wanting to form your loves and attention, and it's idolatry, but we're coming back to see God and being formed in that. So there's purpose to your singing, there's purpose to your greeting, there's purpose to the reading of the word, there's purpose to your prayer, because it's a formation of your love. It's a formation back to who God's made you to be, and this is why I love this verse. You still with me? Okay, good, because I want to keep going a little bit more. Romans 5. We well, don't need to clap me, but it's good. Thank you. I'm glad you're here, because I think it's why we need to reset the heart, why we need to wrestle with this conversation today about the heart and what it is and why resetting is important because it's the place we love from and they're being corrupted all the time. And so we're coming back because God in His mercy actually invites us to worship. God calls us to come. God invites us. He sends us. The calling is to come. And and there's an invitation to worship Him and so that He can change us, so that He can meet with us, so that He can do a work in us. Because here's what I love about Romans 5, 1-5. Therefore, he's, we've been justified through faith. We have what? Peace. Remember in the garden when everything was rightly ordered, God took up residence and there was peace. Now because of the work of Jesus Christ, sin has been dealt with and conquered. The power of sin and death has been defeated on the cross. Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father and He has taken up rightful residence of Lord. And because of that, you and I are made right with God again and we have peace when Jesus is in charge. We've been justified, not only that, listen to this, it gets better. We've gained access into a faith that wasn't rightly deserved, but we're granted this access. It's like the access pass, VIP. You get to go backstage, like you've got the pass, man. You're going in to a place called grace that we now stand. Stand means you're standing. It's a firm foundation. God's grace. You've been justified, you have His grace. The Bible text goes on to talk about some things that we may face, because there'll be some challenges, but here's the word, verse 5, and hope doesn't put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our what? Say it with me, church, where's it gone? Into our hearts. This place that we were designed to love God from, that has been corrupted by sin, has been changed by the power of God's love again. Because Jesus has conquered the power of sin and death on the cross, reconciled us back to God in right relationship, and not only that, he now grabs his big old bowl of love and pours it into your heart. And to love is to desire. And here's the funny thing about the word agape, which is like this idea of love in the Bible and we see it in Corinthians, but agapeo means to love, and it means to actively do what the Lord prefers. Agape means to prefer. It means to prefer what God prefers. Did you know that? The word love itself actually means to prefer what God prefers. It means to desire what God desires. And so that was established in the garden, corrupted by sin, but by the mercy of God reconciled through Jesus Christ. And you know what He does now? He pours out the love into your heart the place you love from and desire from, the place that's restless, the place that's anxious, the place that is is walking in idolatry and and meeting with death. Jesus comes and renews your heart and rehumanizes you back to who you were created to be by the power of His Holy Spirit because He breathes His Spirit into us. The Bible says when He met with the disciples, He breathed on them after He had resurrected. He makes them alive again and He fills us with His love. This is why I love this text because that place that you love from that's being corrupted is changed by the power of God's love. Isn't that good news for us today? God changes us by His love. So, God's love comes into our heart, and all of a sudden, we prefer what He prefers, and it's rightly ordered love again. God comes in and orders the chaos. The same way that He hovered over the darkness and spoke life into existence, He comes into that space that has been disrupted and corrupted by sin, and puts things in order. Justified by faith, we experience peace. Do you think we need a little bit of peace in our anxious, crazy lives where we're so distracted? Why worships so important because it's an invitation and it's constant. God is always inviting us, a call to worship. Not that he's sitting there going, "I need your attention." It's that he's like, "I know what you need." And it's so life-giving. And so let me give you my love, because my love is pure, and what I desire is wholesome and good. That's why the Word says, He will give you the desires of your heart. When you're in that space, He actually gives you His desires, because your desires become His desires, and that's good. Don't you want to desire what God wants to desire? That's His love. It's not wishy-washy. It's powerful. It's a force. It comes in and transforms you and changes you and gives you a new direction again. And when we've been living in the tension of being shaped by all kinds of things, Jesus gives us new life. And when we give Him control and He becomes the Lord of our life, we see that He in His goodness gives us His desires. And His desires are perfect and lead us to life. He transforms us. Our true worship is a reflection of our relationship to Jesus, the object and center of our faith. He has taken up residence. He is the Lord of the earth. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Jesus has taken up His rightful place, and He is worthy, He is good, He is merciful, and now He even gives us His love. It's Powerful. In order to function as the people of God, I I really reckon we want to be full of the love of God, don't you reckon? Boy, I tell you what, we're going to change the world, man, through the power of God's Holy Spirit and, and the force of His love. Remember, the Apostle Paul says, it's Christ's love that compels me to do what I'm doing. You find your mission. You, you are so full of God's love that you're like, if Jesus is Lord, I am so full of the faith and the love of God to follow after Him and do His way, His will because His desires are my desires now. Paul says, His love controls me is actually the word, compel. It's like His love is a force that now controls my life and is leading me in the path and of everlasting life. And worship is an encounter with God, Worship is an encounter with God's love. It's coming before a God who is worthy when you feel so broken and so anxious and so overwhelmed and so distracted. God's like, come, come, come to worship because when you do and you meet Him and you have that humble recognition, God, here's my heart. (laughs) It's a little tattered. It's a little beaten up. God's just like, oh, I'm going to get my big old love. woo!" And He's pouring that thing and it's going to fill you. It's so good that God is calling us to acknowledge that He is good and meet with Him and be transformed by Him. It's an encounter with God that will change you, it really is, and this is a fundamental place we want to build our life from, from God's love, ordering the chaos and directing us to true north, amen? I think this is why I wanted to talk about resetting the heart, because it it does require a reset at times, doesn't it, because we're a people who need to acknowledge that we need God to fill us with His love, to be reconnected to His life. I can't pretend to love God. I'm not going to go into it, but it was the same way Peter made a big mistake, he followed Jesus for a couple of years, he's standing, not Pastor Peter, by the way, Um, (laughs) Peter in the Bible, he he made a bit of a boo-boo, and then he's just like, man, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go fishing, going back to what I used to do, what I used to know, the old creation, you know, you ever have those moments? Just go back to what I think I know, fishing, catches nothing, Jesus is just standing there going, (laughs) (sighs) and he's cooking up fish, the very thing Peter's trying to get, Jesus just got, and he's just like, no, you're going to come and eat with me? Peter comes over, and um, Jesus is like, hey, bud, do you, do you love me? Do you agape me? Like, do you have God's love? And Peter's like, "Ugh, you know I don't. Jesus is like, feed my sheep. And then he asks him again, do you agape me? Do you love me with God's love? And Peter's like, Ugh, you know I don't. And then Jesus looks and says, you know what, mate? Do you even brotherly love me? Like, the lesser of love? Do you even just have an affection toward me? And then Peter's just like, oh, you really know God. I can't pretend. And this is why Jesus invites us to worship, to be honest, to be humble. Because as He does that, He's looking at Peter and He's like, I've got what you need and I'm calling you to go feed the sheep. Like, you've got a ministry, bro. Like, you've got a mission. Don't live in that place of brokenness for too long. Because you've gone back to the fishing boat and you're trying again and you're thinking, this is what I need to do. And Jesus is in His mercy calling us to come. Come to the shore Here's what I have for you. And I'm going to look at you in the eye and let you have space to be honest with me. You don't even love me. So just say it. You can't pretend. Don't just pretend in worship. Let's have some confession in our heart. Let's acknowledge it. Because God's not there to be like, Peter, you dodo. You left me. He's like, Peter, it's all good. Just be honest. I love you. I'm going to ask my wife to come up right now, if that's okay. She's going to share a quick testimony about repentance, and then we're going to finish. You guys have done really well. We're running out of time here. But I really wanted Ashley, my wife, to come up and just share a quick little thought um, because I think this, great, this resetting thing is so important. And Ashley, you got a microphone there. Ashley has a little bit of a testimony um, because it requires honesty, this resetting of the heart. David cries out in Psalm 139, "'Search me, O God, test me, know my anxious thoughts.'" see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me to the way of everlasting. You like how David doesn't just stay in this lament of, like, I am the worst person in the world? He just invites God to come and see what he's loving and longing for, and if there's something there that's not okay, lead me to the way of everlasting, lead me to Jesus, lead me back to the place of your throne where there's grace and mercy and I can fall to my knees, remember, to kiss the hand of Jesus, right, to, to move forward toward the throne and receive the way of everlasting. I love that, that's the resetting of the heart, that's the repentance, that's just the recognition of our need for God when things are out of order. I'm going to get Ash to just share a real quick testimony here.
1: So if you're the fries, I'm the cheeseburger, then. All right. So just just briefly, um, there's just a couple of things that yeah I think have risen in my heart as Maddie and I have talked about this message this week. Um, when uh, not long after high school, I moved to Canmore and um, was living with some friends, and you know the usual life shifts. You're you're what almost well, how old was I? Eighteen. And my friend and I had begun to put some weight on. So we started on a mission to, you know, be healthier. So we would walk places and, you know, we shifted things and and we began to do things differently. And and that was fine for a time. Um, And then when I got back home after living in Canmore for about 10 months, um, I went on a missions trip to Mexico. And it was a profound experience that, you know, changed my life. I, I realized that I was living... I wasn't living to the fullest. There was so much more, you know, that I could be doing with my time and my energy and my money. And, and I felt challenged to live differently, um, but I didn't know what that looked like. Can any of you identify with that? Sometimes you're like, I, I know I need to make a change, but what does that even mean? What does that look like? And so one of the things that I had continued to do um, after moving home was, you know, being healthy and walking and exercising and I began to lose more and more weight, and it was interesting because I, uh, again, in, in the name of health, um, and in the midst of trying to wrestle with light, what life was meant to look like, uh, it was something that I could control. It was something that was sort of in my hands, and, and I would get comments saying, oh, you're looking so well, and you know, it, it, was, it was affirming this journey that I was on that deep inside was beginning to be not healthy. Um, and more and more as I went on that journey, and my body wasn't getting what I needed, the more I was living in fear of, you know, um, well, I, I don't like to use the word, but I'll use it because it was an attitude in my head, but, you know, fat. It was like this fear of something that drove me, and then this lie that we live from that we can control things and live a certain way and still have life. You know, like Maddie was talking about the tempter saying, he, t- you know, the, the serpent told another story that we get to be God, we get to be in control, and it's okay, you won't die. And so t- when I think about it, that was sort of the, the thing, the lie that I had believed. Um, and so living in this sort of control, and the result of that um, was I had gone to Australia to do some uh, a youth and community course. And along the way, it was just, you know, more and more, the more that I gave myself to this, the more that I focused on it, the more that it just kind of was so much of who I was, the more that I damaged relationships, the more that I, um, yeah, became anxious, the more it just took my focus, it became my purpose in life. And um, ultimately, um, physically, just, Dying, really, just so unwell. I often tell the story that, you know, I had gone on, within that time in Australia, we went to a missions trip to Greece, and they had sent a group picture home uh, that's back to everyone's families. And my mom saw the picture and didn't recognize me. She actually asked who I was in the picture because she didn't know who I was. So that's just to give you a taste of how far um, this eating disorder had taken me, that I would do lots and eat little, and really just began to wither away with no life, emotionally, relationally, physically. And it was one night with a friend um, at the house where I was living when I was in Australia going to school. I had a few housemates, and there was this girl that I just really came to love. And we were sitting at the table one day chatting, and she, um, we were just sharing. She had had, had a hard life. and. She was sharing some things with me, and it was that day that I kind of realized where I was at, and I said to her, Nicole, like, I'm so scared. Like, I'm, I'm so scared, and I had, obviously, roommates, like I said, so I went to my room, and I put my face in my pillow because I didn't want anyone to hear, and I just cried the hardest I've ever cried before, and, you know, as Maddie read out, you know, the David scripture it was just like this. It was this cry that just all of a sudden came from within me. I didn't I didn't get down on my knees and try and conjure up a prayer. Like it was just without even thinking. I, I just was like, Lord, like God, like clearly my life is not okay in my hands. <laughs> like, please help me. Like you you need to come in and, and and do something because this is not okay and my life is not okay in my hands. Like, will you take control? And so I just remember waking up the next morning and my heart had literally just shifted like 180. Like, you know, this language of like heart reset. Like my heart had completely reset. And, you know, I called my mom and I had to apologize. You know, had to begin to name the things that that sin and and the control and, and the damage that it had done in my life you know, to take those steps. And so, I say that to say that, um, you know, maybe some of you can relate to, you know, we have these moments of saying, God, like, I repent, you know, this is not okay. And I'm so thankful that when I woke up, my heart had changed, (laughs) but I was still withering away. (laughs) I was still me, you know, there was still this... In the, in the Bible, it talks about having to live out our salvation with fear and trembling. There's a journey that we have to go on. And I don't know about you, but if you've been on a journey, sometimes we can get tired. It took me a few years to walk it out to get better. And someone said to me, that was your journey of repentance. It was daily repenting and daily saying, this is a lie. I'm living from truth. My desire is to be healthy body soul and spirit to serve and love the lord all of my life it wasn't for anything else and so every day it was having to come in and say lord i worship you fill me so that i can actually do that but it was literally a daily repentance of saying you know this is truth and i'm gonna live from it this is truth i'm gonna live for it even though sometimes all of me wanted to go back all of me wanted to make those other choices It was really, really hard. And so um, I don't struggle with an eating disorder anymore. God healed me of that. But I still live with the consequences of that. I lost bone density. I don't know if later on in life I'll have osteoporosis. You know, there's still a consequence of our sin. But I'm healed because I have life again. I am filled with purpose and who God has made me to be. And one of the things I find really interesting was um, a little while after when I was, you know, again, eating and, and trying to do all the right things, I remember burst, okay, those of you that know me, you'll think this, I'm known for my laugh, my obnoxiously loud laugh, and I remember bursting out laughing one day when I was in Australia, and it startled me, and I remember realizing it was because I hadn't laughed in so life had come back. Healing was because life had entered, but what I wanted to encourage you is that if if you're on a journey and you know you're like I love God, I love God and I have many many struggles. A life of worship is saying every day I'm willing to give it to you so I can keep doing what you're calling me to do. And the other thing is just that I think as a community I would love Sometimes I would love that my journey of worship might mean turning off HGTV. It might e- mean eating something or not eating something. We, we should look different if we're authentically living out what God's calling us to. And the danger is that we don't like when we look different and so we're not always encouraging. But we have to be careful of the narratives and, and the things that we wanna say to each other or not say to each other that are actually pointing us back to the old. That that we're that we're saying, oh, God told you to do that or not do that? Awesome. And if it makes you uncomfortable, maybe it's because God's convicting you of the same thing. I just say it to say, can we look different in community and encourage each other and whatever I need to do and whatever you need to do to live a life of worship? Because it is means saying yes to no to different things. You know, being a vegetarian came from the eating disorder. So There's lots of people who are vegetarian. It in itself isn't wrong. God was telling me to eat meat. I needed to do it to conquer fear. I needed to do it to be obedient to him. But if people in your life are saying, oh, no, it's fine, it's hard. So my testimony is mine, and you might not have an eating disorder, but I hope some of these things are encouraging you what it means to let God be in control, that you will find life in him, and that he's a good, good father.
0: Awesome, Ashley. Yeah, isn't that great testimony? Um, definitely the cheeseburger my the, the mama burger, hey? Eh? Uh, Big Mac. Mac. <laughs> we are just celebrating 14 years uh, anniversary last week, so um, we're heading away tonight. It's good. Thank you. I love the testimony because for Ashley, that, that's just a that's that was her journey. That was like the moment of rawness, and I think you know, for all of us, there's opportunities in those big moments where we really truly realize that, like, we wanted to be here, but we find ourselves over here somehow, and sometimes you don't even know how you got there. Have you ever found that? You're just over here going, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> you know, you have those moments that are so profound and deep, and that, 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 that the, the deep cries out to deep, you know, like this moment of depth of humility, God, I need you, Do you know all of us at some point will be faced with that opportunity? Who is going to be the Lord of your life? And God's Lordship isn't just like powerful dominion in a sense of, you know, rulership that causes you to be in slavery. It's actually the complete opposite. It's where the chains get broken and you're brought into relationship and life. That's the invitation. And I think we have those moments where it's like, the recognition where we step into a new creation story, and we allow God to work in us and through us. And then for some of us, it's the constant. It's the moments like me this week where it's like, I need to stop and see my God again, because I love Him, and He's going to give me His love, and it's those moments, right? And that's the resetting of the heart. The heart needs resetting. I'm going to ask William and the team to come up. We're going to sing together. Why don't you stand with me, church, and we're going to do some, just share a final scripture here, and, and we'll pray together, and sing a song together, and Um, I love David's cry. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love and according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from sin. I know my sin. I've only sinned against you and done evil in your sight, and you're a good judge. Even from birth I was sinful, but God, you desired faithfulness in the womb, and you taught me wisdom in that secret place. There's another place to access you, God. So cleanse me, wash me, let me hear joy and gladness. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity and create in me a clean heart, God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your spirit away from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation. Do you know that's the invitation to worship? It's just this invitation to meet with God and be transformed, to say, you are worthy of it all, God, because from all things come from you, and I'm going to give all things back to you, and you're the one that's going to give me your love. So, God, where I've lost the joy of that salvation, please restore it, search my heart, create in me a clean heart, and restore the joy again to my salvation. And so Second Chronicles says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves... Be honest with God, church. Just let him know. He already knows, so name it. Cry out in your pillow, God, I'm not okay, whatever it looks like. If they will humble themselves and pray and want, seek my face. It's in the face of someone in a relationship. You can know them from a distance through emails. You can know descriptions of someone on a profile. But when you see their face, you recognize them. God invites us, seek my face, see me again you turn from your wicked ways, and I'm going to hear you. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. God is merciful. God is good. Let's sing this song together, and then we're going to pray. He's going to, he's going to sing us in um, This Is My Desire. We're going to sing that song. And we're just going to pray that, like sing that as a prayer,
1: and see if God stirs up faith in the desires of your heart, and then we're just going to pray together. Let's sing.